WFH with two guys. Now here's Benny and Dennis. The biggest question, I think that after you've been operating your business for a while, Dennis, and I know this has come across for me, is I, I haven't, I don't have a hundred percent retention rate with my clients. And I always wonder why, why clients decide to go with my business or they, they leave my company. Did that ever happen to you? You ever think about that from time to time? Yeah. And, and sometimes, you know, but there's a lot of times you, you don't have all the facts or all the knowledge to understand they, they just left and there's something that caused them to switch or decide to, to go somewhere. And, and as a business owner, sometimes you just forget about it because you've got enough new business coming on and you just kind of don't worry about it. But then also if things are slow, it can be real impactful. Or if it's a major, major client, it can be a real big challenge to you. So yeah, I think we've all experienced that. And it's something that we all face that we wish we had better answers about it. So today's guest, Aaron Young, will give us a little bit of a peek in understanding maybe a little bit about the psychology of our clients or customers who we're dealing with. And Aaron, you bring really kind of a, a fascinating idea. And uh, the idea of switch interviews was something until I met you, I, I wasn't really familiar with. And so would you mind giving us a little idea and background about what is, what is switching? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So switching is a, a very ordinary thing in all of our lives. We mm-hmm. wake up and, and make switches uh, sort of unconsciously um, uh, and or very consciously, sort of big story uh, changes in our lives. Um, I used to live in Washington, D.C. Now I live in Atlanta. Uh, I made a switch. Mm-hmm. I used to run outside. Uh, now I have a Peloton. I made a switch. Uh, I used to be a full-time employee and now I'm an independent consultant. Uh, I made a switch. And each of these stories have a fairly um, longer gestation period than we think. Uh, and there's a lot of sort of rich insight that any company can pull uh, if and when they sort of ask the right questions in the right context of an interview. Um, and that's sort of what I'm trying to do. Hmm. It, it's fascinating to me because I think you're right. There, there's a normalization. Some of the things are, are fairly nuanced that you know, when, you know, I look at buying, say, an electronic device. I'm going to look for the best device. Dennis, this happens, you know, if I'm, if I'm buying a cell phone, if I'm buying some specific electronic device that I've never been familiar with, but I have a really good friend of mine. He is dyed true in the wool Apple fanboy. And there's nothing wrong with being an Android or an Apple fanboy. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but he yeah. refuses to look at any other product when it comes to, if he's buying a laptop or if he's buying a tablet, he's not even interested in, in other ones. And then there are other people that I know that they will look at various different aspects and assess and determine. I find it fascinating. Do you, how do you do that in your life, Dennis? Do you, do you ever do all those type of things? Um, I'm a switcher, so mm-hmm. I'm not afraid to, to go with a different product or test things. And as, as I listened to Aaron and we talked to him before we started recording this, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, switching for me is a great, I love to do it. My wife, on the other hand, (laughs) would rather stay put in one certain spot and do the exact same thing over and over again. Um, And I'm sure many customers or many companies love her type of as a customer because they're loyal. I'm probably not that loyal customer that would go back at the same time. There's some, some reason inside my head that likes to switch and do things. So as we talk to Aaron, it's like, okay, this is kind of cool. And and it's kind of insightful what goes on. Aaron, can you give us a little insight? What What is the, the thought behind that? I never really gave it too much thought, but 
you know, as I talked to you more and more about this, I became thinking, and I started thinking a little bit more, maybe I need to be doing a more of, of, of some of this thoughtfulness in terms of, you know, my clients and, and how my business operates. Why do people do this? Yeah. So I think there's a bunch of reasons, a bunch of forces at play, but I think going into the idea of psychology, we are creatures of habits. We tend to be on autopilot and buy the same product day in, day out, week in, week out for a very long time until something motivates us to change. Think about the laundry detergent you use or uh, a specific brand of uh, pasta sauce, whatever it might be. Um, uh, but then we have a first thought, and, and the first thought represents the first time we think that the status quo, uh, our habit, isn't working out. And this represents the push, the push away from our old way. There are some grievances that build up, and eventually they get to such a level that we begin thinking, I need to begin the process of making a change. And that doesn't mean we're going to change right away, but we enter into a passive-looking phase uh, where we begin to notice options that we didn't notice before. Uh, in time, we, as we see things, we get attracted. There's some magnetism towards the features of the new way. Um, uh, we might see a, a specific feature uh, that our old way doesn't have that uh, pulls us towards. And so those, sort of, those are the sort of two forces that are um, promoting change. There's the push from the old way, and there's the pull towards the new way. I use the example I had before. I had grievances built up with my residency in Washington, D.C., my old city. I had pulled towards my new home in Atlanta, and those are two separate things going on. But as we make these changes, there's also things that block change, and this is uh, really interesting to me. First, there's anxiety. The closer we get to making a switch, we have doubts, we have concerns. Think about any time you got to the point of entering your credit card information online, uh, uh, to make an online purchase, there are times where you just back away. Uh, you're like, not today. I'll, I'll, I'll think about it just a little bit longer. And, and that is the sort of anxiety we feel when we're about to make a switch. And that is blocking the switch, blocking the change, uh, as well as the habits we may have to break. As I was a full-time employee in DC, I couldn't move to Atlanta. I was expected to be in an office every day. Uh, once I broke that and became uh, an independent consultant, I had the flexibility to live wherever I want, and that habit was broken. And so I had the ability to make progress and, and move on to the next city. Um, and so all these forces are at play in, in, the, in, in, in these decisions, whether it's a big one or a small one. Um, and they sort of happen over some period of time uh, as we sort of progress from being passive, noticing new options to an active search for a new uh, uh, um, it's time to get serious about this. And then we enter a deciding phase where we have two, three, four products in mind, and we actually have to move forward with a decision. Uh, and so it's just this sort of transition period, this time. And I think at any given moment, we probably have uh, a dozen, two dozen things we're thinking about switching. Um, and, and that gestation period just takes a little time to see it through. And, and yeah. Interesting. Eric, question for you too. So as, as you're, you know, we're talking about products and people are buying or they use or want to switch, you know, a lot of times I know in my business, you go through a long process of negotiating with someone. So, you know, we're trying to sell our product to them. There's three or four other people trying to sell the same product. And for some reason they pick product C and not product A or us. Um, is that a good time to go back to, especially if you've built a decent relationship, even though you didn't, they didn't buy from you, are they good people to go back to and talk to 
and do the questions to understand why they didn't pick your product or service? I think it's a really important question. And uh, I would actually say perhaps not. Um, uh, they didn't make a decision to switch to or away from your product or your service. Um, they didn't experience uh, uh, your service. Um, and so I really sort of set aside anybody who I, I flirted with um, and, okay. and really just want to focus on those switchers. Um, uh, who became a customer recently of mine, and therefore what can I glean from their story? And second, uh, who left me? Uh, who decided to break up with me? And they broke the habit of using me as their as their sort of provider. Um, uh, people who are happy customers uh, um, and just consistently with you don't have stories that have all this rich detail. They didn't make a switch. They didn't make trade-offs about what they expected in the service, uh, whether it be price or the way the product is designed. Uh, and then I think, again, the people who um, uh, didn't choose you, uh, there may be something to learn, I think, from uh, the sales process in a sort of a narrow way, but you're not going to get the same level of insight around um, product and marketing and whatnot, um, because, again, they haven't experienced your product. So what... What, when, when I'm thinking about my business in general, do you have any suggestions or any thoughts in terms of how I should approach, you know, my clients and, and what are some things that I should be keeping in mind or some suggestions in terms of making these things a little bit more apparent to me so that I can hang on to my clients? I, I've always been told, Aaron, that it is five times less costly to keep your customers than it is to go and find a new one. So mm -hmm. these are things that, you know, as a business owner, I'm, I'm going to have a, a lot of concern about. I'm going to be a lot of focus. Are there some things that you could offer or maybe, you know, tell us that that would be helpful? Sure. I mean, I think uh, maybe what's important is to say, you know, these interview projects, uh, at first what you land on is 10, 12, 20 documentaries, individual stories. Um, eventually, uh, those stories can be clustered into three, four, five different customer types, focusing on the causation, why they switched into your product. And there may be tension uh, across those different clusters. Uh, think about these as sort of personas, not who people are, but why they buy. And I think once you understand the kind of progress they're trying to make, it, it should be easier uh, to service that. Um, I think maybe what I'm landing on as I ramble my way to an answer perhaps uh, is that we have a tendency to over or underbuild our products. Um, uh, and I think what these interviews can reveal is that the moment someone became your customer, the progress that they wanted to make, uh, the outcome they sought, uh, uh, the context they were in, the trade-offs they were willing to make when, it, when choosing, a service or provider. Um, and I think that gives a crystal clear sense of what they expect, uh, how they're evaluating you and, and the work that you do, and perhaps how long they expect to be with you uh, based on whether you complete that job for them. Um, and so if you have that crystal clear sense of what they're trying to accomplish and you support it, uh, I think you will uh, un are unlikely to lose them until their context changes, until they feel like that progress uh, was achieved or accomplished. Um, and, and as, as a business owner, how do you stay ahead of that curve so that, you know, you know, you're not losing those customers or that 
you're in touch with is you know do you have a process that you take companies through or what happens yeah i mean again at the heart of this is uh, identifying a sample of switchers um 10 12 20 uh, uh people who are switched in or switched out uh, you conduct these interviews you identify all the sign of detail that i mentioned uh, what were the pushes the pulls the anxieties the habits when did they have their first thought when did they go from passive to active looking? When did they uh, go from active looking to deciding? What was that sort of timeline? Uh, You cluster the interviews uh, into sort of different types of of why people want to buy your product. Uh, And eventually you land on some pretty clear recommendations about design requirements for the product, uh, marketing language and messaging, um, uh, a clear sense of how to approach different types of prospects if you're selling based on what they're trying to accomplish, how to quickly identify that this is this customer uh, or prospect uh, is really sort of aligns with cluster two or, or the second you know grouping of customers you found. Um, and, and then begin to sort of make the changes to the product marketing and sales approach um, uh, to sort of help them make that progress. Um, and so, because again, I mean, your your big push is you're you're asking or helping answer the question why, correct? Where yep. most companies have a lot they have lots of data about how much they've sold or how much sales are up or down, and that's all the the what and the how, but the piece companies miss Mm -hmm. are the whys. And a lot of times they just check it off as, oh, it's just part of doing business or, you know, they have enough growth happening that enough people leave, but there's more people coming on. So it looks like they have sales increase, but they could have had a much greater sales increase if they could have kept those people from switching. And so I think, I think this is really insightful because so many people, Benny, to your point, you spend so much money trying to get new ones that if you just worked on, the existing ones and understood the whys of what brought them to you and how you can keep them from switching or keep them ahead of the, the competition out there through the, the why it changes the whole outcome of what your company could look like. For me, that I think you hit it right on the head there, Dennis. If, if the better that I understand, you know, I, I pride myself on being a fairly de- detailed oriented person. I understand the different aspects of my business. I understand about how, uh, the technology in my world, the technology that I bring to my clients works. But I, I, I have to say what really captured me when I was talking with Aaron initially was just the idea of understanding the client at a more granular level, getting to know them deeper than I had ever thought about it before. And it really gave me some pause after you and I initially had our discussion, Aaron, it's just, just to understand all of those things and, and exactly what, what Dennis was highlighting there and, and what you've been talking about is just the idea of, I know a lot of the stuff about my clients. I know a lot of the stuff about my products, but I don't understand the why. And I think that's really, really critical. So Aaron, you know, a lot of companies are probably doing a lot with Google ads and trying to get people on Google. And again, you know, you can, you can spend a lot of money on Google and not get great results because it's all word driven. In my mind, this is a great way for, before you jump into that experience, you've got to know the whys and all that kind of thing. Thoughts around that whole Google marketing and how do I get there with it? And you know, what can you do to help them be successful? Yeah. Uh, uh, a client of mine uh, runs an online wedding dress business. 
And we did uh, a set of interviews recently trying to understand not why women buy wedding dresses. I think we understand that, but why they switch or would switch from buying one at a boutique going down the traditional route um, mm-hmm. uh, versus why would they uh, order one on the internet to do a try at home experience. And, and so we wanted to get to the bottom of why they made that switch from boutique to try at home. And we learned that there was three, four, five reasons why they did this. One example might be geography. Um, They are unimpressed with the inventory at the three or four shops within 25, 30 miles of their home. Um, This was a way for them to expand their option set. Uh, It wasn't that they hated how uh, rushed they felt during the boutique experience. It wasn't that, you know, they didn't like shopping. Uh, It was literally just a matter of inventory. I wanted to expand my options, have more beautiful dresses. But another cluster of these women uh, uh, were uh, focused on entirely other things. You know, obviously one reason you would think would be we're in the pandemic and or at least we were for the last two years. And uh, um, and a big part of their decision set was wanting to keep the squad together. Um, They Mm -hmm. were comfortable going into the boutique by themselves, but their mother and grandmother may not be comfortable with that. And so. Mm It was a way to restore uh, the unit of people who are going to be shopping together. I, I you playfully use the word squad. Uh, and so these different sort of clusters of why uh, emerged. And, and obviously the design requirements, the marketing messages, everything flows from that why. Um, I, I don't need to have a generic set of grievances about how rushed people feel uh, in the boutique. That actually won't connect to the woman who is merely trying to expand her options because she lives in a smaller city somewhere in America. Um, and so as, so as a business owner, I would take those, that pieces of information. And if it's Google ads, make sure I have those certain words or captions so that it's going to capture those people that are looking for broader flexibility or whatever in this case for dresses. Yep. And so that you can then bring them into your website and then do all those things. And I'm assuming that on the website, Somehow you're going to answer those whys of, hey, you know, I give you more inventory. I give you the ability to have your people, you know, your squad together during this process that through the pandemic, you can't do it at a boutique. That kind of messaging so that you understand what's going on and how you guide those people through that process to sell more, in this case, more wedding dresses. Exactly. The other thing I'd mention, uh, which is incredibly important to, I think, online advertising um, I mentioned earlier there this idea of a timeline, that there's a first thought, I need to buy a wedding dress. And there's a period of passive looking and then active looking. And so the passive looking phase is really about learning how to buy your product. Um, In the context of a wedding dress, it's a taste making phase. A lot of the advertising you might see on Google or Instagram or, or the photos, Pinterest for wedding dresses may or may not be thoughtfully spent because it's a matter of a time period in that bride's life where she's mostly focused on developing opinions about what kind of dresses she wants to buy, not on actively buying the dress. And so if you have a sense for what phase somebody is in and what messages will hit during the passive looking phase of learning how to buy a product to the active looking phase of really settling down on those two, three, four options you're going to like, um, I could imagine a lot of spend is is really in that passive looking phase and perhaps um, uh, problematically so, um, inefficiently so. 
I'll tell you, just hearing this this conversation kind of gets me excited, I have to say, because just listening to what you're saying and and really getting to know my customers, and, and, and Dennis had some suggestions too in terms of once you understand your customer, you can adapt and change your, your Google AdWords spend and, and how that all works. I think to me, that that gives me a little bit of maybe a little bit of a mission to, to understand my clients a little bit better and see if I can't adapt and, uh, you know, customize some of my marketing or the way that I approach my clients. And so uh, along those lines, Aaron, this has been really uh, very interesting and it's an amazing conversation that we're having. If anybody out there who happens to be listening to this podcast wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to get, uh, get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, uh, I'd probably suggest my email address. Unfortunately, there's six, 700 people in America with my last name, uh, or <laughs> full name, Aaron Young. And so LinkedIn yeah. is a hard place to find me. But um, my email address is Aaron A. Young, A-A-R-O-N-A-Y-O-U-N-G at gmail.com. That's probably mm-hmm. the best place. Um, feel free to find me on LinkedIn as well. I am probably one of the only people who mentioned switch interviews uh, um, in my profile. Um, so that's a good way to search for it. But there's so many of me that uh, sometimes I get lost. That's <laughs> it's fantastic. Great. So yeah, if you are interested in understanding your business, your clients a little bit better, reach out to Aaron, make sure you uh, you talk to him and in see how he can give you a hand. Dennis, I've learned quite a bit today. I think this has been a fascinating interview. I think it's been great. I, the switch thing, it's one of those ones, you know it in your mind, but you never thought about it. And it's, yeah. it's really insightful. So Aaron, thanks a lot for doing this. Thanks for yeah. being here today. I'm glad to do it. Thank you. You've been listening to WFH with two guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>